greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Sabbath service being broadcast here from the Burlington and Ottawa congregations. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Just doing a sound check, if you can hear me clearly and you can hear the piano in the background, please let us know on whatever platform that you're listening, just so that we know that the sound is working clearly. Today we're blessed to have the message, Finding Joy in the Midst of Chaos. Finding Joy in the Midst of Chaos, and this will be brought to us by Pastor Murray Palmatier. Brethren, to another Sabbath service here from the Burlington and uh, Ottawa congregations. We're really happy to have you. Uh, today's message, as I mentioned just as we were starting, is going to be brought to us by Pastor Murray Palmatier. We're really looking forward to, do, to that. And uh, he's doing the count for all of us and comes going through the book of Genesis each day as he does the Omer count and just uh, helping us to just be more meditative and, and mindful uh, as we're proceeding through the count. Uh, today is day 28, which means this is the fourth of the seven Sabbaths that we're counting towards the Holy Day of Pentecost. So we're really looking forward to that. Uh, what we'll do now is we'll open with uh, an opening prayer. And that's going to be brought to us by our brother uh, from Nanaimo, B.C. So he's on the, the west coast of Canada, and uh, his name is Brother Warren Lee. He'll be providing the Good afternoon, brethren. Uh, please bow your heads. Our, uh, our great God, our Father in heaven, how great it is to be called during this time 
what an extraordinary time it is to be alive uh, with so much uh, tumult around us. Uh, we do know, Father, that it seems with each passing week, uh, the truth uh, has truly fallen in the streets and that uh, we have you and your son, Jesus Christ, as our anchor and how desperately we need to be anchored to you and to your word and that we can find joy and solace in your uh, your way of life and help us father to be faithful help us to be uh, committed and above all father help us to to love you and to keep your commandments and to know that this way of life is the only way that will actually bring the true and lasting happiness that this world so desperately, desperately needs. Uh, we thank you so very much for uh, your Sabbath and for the ability to meet together and to be encouraged. And we certainly ask a, a blessing on the, the message today. Please give Murray uh, the uh, dynamic to deliver it as you want it. And again, help us in our hearing to understand it and to apply it in our lives so we can be more like you and your son. Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you again for your holy days. We thank you for all the amazing things that you bless us with. So we ask this now and we give you grateful thanks and we ask it in the name of our soon coming King and our High Priest, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Warren. Really appreciate you uh, spending time with us in this service. Uh, our Brother Warren will actually be giving the sermon later on. Uh, for his congregation, but appreciate him joining us now and uh, opening up in prayer. And for those of you who might be joining us for the very first time, welcome. You can find out more about us at cgi.org. So welcome, and uh, we're happy to have you. We will now have our opening hymn. It's entitled, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Joyful, 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 We Adore Thee. And please, brethren, sing out, sing out with joy. And I think that'll be a great uh, preparation for the message that we're going to hear today.
What a beautiful hymn. And at this time, we'll have our scripture reading. It's going to be brought to us from a brother from the from Macedonia, Ohio, a brother Jeff Flanick, and he's going to be reading for us 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through the faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Beautiful. Thank you so much, uh, Brother Jeff. Really appreciate that very uh, meaningful reading. Thank you so much. It's a wonderful reading, and uh, no doubt uh, Pastor Murray will be uh, elaborating and exegeting the passage in a bit more detail for us. A wonderful uh, passage for us to think about and be prepared for the main message. In terms of announcements, brethren, we just have a couple. Um, First of all, I did mention that this is the fourth of seven Sabbaths as we're counting to Pentecost. So Pentecost is just three weeks away. Uh, Secondly, on that note, uh, Pastor Murray and I are planning to have a a social after the service on Pentecost. So when the service ends on Pentecost, half an hour afterwards, we're going to have a social. Uh, People from all over the world are welcome. We we did try this on a smaller scale uh, before, and it just went so well. So uh, our brethren here in Burlington and Ottawa will be hosting, and uh, anybody is welcome to join. We will give you the details of how to join that social on Pentecost, and we'll just give you the the instructions, and that way it'll be really clear. It's very simple. Just make sure that your camera and your microphone are working, so be camera ready and mic ready, and uh, we can enjoy uh, some extended fellowship on Pentecost. And then finally, um, next week we will have our weekly Bible study, except that uh, I will not be covering, we're up to, we've completed chapter 10, we're up to chapter 11. Um, I will not be covering chapter 11 next week, God willing. We're going to just reserve that time to answer your questions. So Pastor Murray will join me and we'll have a live Q&A as we like to do just every once in a while, typically the last uh, Wednesday of the month. And uh, there's just been a couple of very substantive questions that have come in. And rather than rush through them or try to, you know, do as much as we can in a little bit of time. Uh, I'd rather just focus on answering these questions. And again, we welcome your questions. So if there are more questions, please send them to us ahead of time if you like, or even on the day uh, using whatever platform that you're listening to us on. You can post the question. We'll do our best to address the question. Sometimes, uh, as in the questions that we're going to be addressing, at least two of them, they're a little bit more substantive in nature. Uh, We may have to go away and do a little bit of study um, before we can answer you, but we'll do our best. So next Wednesday, God willing, will be a live Q&A. 
We will at this time have an intercessory prayer. There are no new updates on our intercessory prayer list, but if you would go ahead and bow your heads and we'll just uh, pray together and ask God's uh, intervention. Oh, Heavenly Father, great God Almighty, we come before your holy throne. We come from your before your throne of great majesty and power and also your throne of great mercy. And Father, you know as you look down from heaven, we are but dust and our lives are mortal. We, we perish, Father. Even as we live, we are perishing, except for the fact that we have this eternal spirit within us. And through that, this, this deposit on eternity, we are able to lay hold on eternal life. And, and through the trials and turmoil and tribulation that we go through, our character is being fashioned. At this time, Father, you know, many of our brethren are in trials, severe trials, very severe health trials, some financial trials, some relationship trials, many, many trials. But your word says, Father, that those of us who are called according to your purpose and who love you, that all these trials are just mere ingredients that you mix together to work together for our good. And that's our prayer now, Father, that as we lift up our brethren around the world and here locally, in a very difficult period, we are, we are heading into a time, or we are in a time, of tremendous turmoil, and, and everything is getting worse. Things are slipping. And, and, and we know, Father, we are prepared for the very worst. And in all of that, we know that it all works together for our good. So we pray, Father, that these trials that our brethren are going through, their patience would be developed, their faith would be deepened, and their sense of belonging to something, a great purpose that's greater than themselves, would be clarified and crystallized. This is our prayer, Father, and we thank you for your intervention in our lives. We thank you that we have these ancient scriptures that shed a light that in all of this confusion and darkness, we can have clarity of purpose, and we can love you and love Christ through your holy word. Thank you, Father. We ask this blessing in, in no other name but the mighty name of Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. Amen. So, brethren, we will have uh, another hymn at this time, and then immediately after the hymn, we'll have the main message for today. The hymn that we'll have next is uh, on page 138. Jesus saves, page 138, Jesus saves. And then immediately after that, we'll have the main message for today. It's going to be brought to us by Pastor Murray Palmatier. And the title of his message is Finding Joy in the Midst of Chaos. Very, very appropriate message for us now. Finding Joy in the Midst of Chaos. But first, we'll have a hymn, page 138, Jesus Saves.
Good afternoon, everyone, on this very sunny, uh, blessed Sabbath day. It is such a blessing to be able to keep God's Sabbath, his holy time, and we certainly greet you and thank you for joining us here on this day. If you've ever driven through eastern Pennsylvania, central Illinois, or even southwestern Ontario, you may have thought that you had joined Doc Brown and Marty McFly in their DeLorean and gone back in time. I've driven through all three areas extensively, and I'm fascinated by the Amish culture that you find there. Here in Canada, we they're, they're referred to as Mennonite-related. Uh, I don't know all the details. They're certainly related. And they are surrounded by a society that lives and breathes for the latest technological gadgets, but they themselves are people that exist without technology. If you've ever driven through on a Sunday morning, you will have seen lineups of horses and uh, drawing carriages, of families going to Sunday church service in the parking lot of the church. Or you, uh, you will see men gathered on one side, women on the other. If it's winter afterwards or even during the week, you'll see boys often playing hockey on a frozen pond in white shirts and ties. If you drive an hour west from Philadelphia, you'll find yourself in old border Amish country. On October 2nd, 2006, as the children of West Nickel Mines came into their one-room school house after morning recess, Charles Carl Roberts IV entered the classroom brandishing a 9mm handgun and taking the children inside hostage. You may recall this story. 45 minutes later, eight little girls were shot, five of whom died. Roberts, a 32-year-old local milk milk tanker driver who had a wife and three children, himself, then turned the gun on himself and took his own life. With the schoolhouse cordoned off as a crime scene, the community gathered at a local farm to await details from the authorities. Details emerged of who lost children and who the perpetrator was. As Charles Roberts' parents, longtime residents of the community, quickly contemplated what to do in the face of this heinous crime that their son committed. What would they do? Would they have to move? Something incredible happened. Within hours, the Amish community were in the homes of his parents, his wife, and his children, extending their condolences for their losses, too. One leader of the community said that Roberts will stand before a just God, but his family just lost a loved one, and they needed to know that they were loved and forgiven. One Amish man held Roberts' crying father in his arms for an hour trying to comfort him. Some brought food to his mom and his wife. Many even attended 
the funeral for Charles Roberts to support his family, 30 of whom stood to form a wall to block the view of media cameras. Rather than shun them, they were adopted into their community and cared for. Even when Robert's mother was going through stage four breast cancer, they took care of her. As you come into Mrs. Robert's home today, hanging above the entryway is a wood carving from one of the locals in black cursive writing the word forgiven. Each day, one of the local leaders stated, we wake up and choose to forgive. Has anyone prayed for the family of Derek Chauvin? We're not talking about him. Let's leave him aside. Let's think of his family. Has anyone, have you heard in the media circles, prayed or said a kind word of condolence to the family of Derek Chauvin, who are now, not by their choice, without their father, their son, or their husband, for the foreseeable future? How about the family of Officer Kimberly Potter in Minnesota, who after 28 years now faces a, a could face a lengthy prison sentence. Has anyone said a prayer for her family, her children? Or the family of Constable Nicholas Reardon of Columbus, Ohio? To even suggest that we should say a kind word or say a prayer for their families is grounds for being canceled today. Whatever the motives of the, those officers were, whatever details and results of those shootings, those officers have families and loved ones. Has anyone prayed for them? Bring them food? Showed up to give them a hug? How did an entire community come together in support of the family whose son, whose husband, and whose father shattered their world? I think part of the answer can be found in the book of James. James opens his letter with a statement, we think we understand, but too often our actions indicate otherwise. In James chapter 1, and verse 2, James chapter 1, and in verse 2, you almost don't need to turn there. You know it so well, but we will. My brethren... James begins, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The body of Christ, as we hear, finds itself in unique times. The world is changing so fast, it hates our faith. It bans us from meeting together in the name of health and safety. And when we do, if we do get the opportunity, like some of our brothers and sisters do, and I know our brothers and sisters in Ottawa who uh, live in a little bit more of a lenient area than we do uh, have gotten to meet over the course of the last 14 months often. They're not now, but they're certainly looking forward to the possibility of doing so soon. When we do, it's behind a mask. We can't sing. We can't hug. We can't rejoice. We can't touch. 
We often hear messages that are heavy and are trying to make sense of what is going on around us in light of what the Bible has to say. This is not an easy time for God's people. With so much pressure from the unconverted to conform, do we get the vaccine and return to normal or don't we? Do we rise up and force our way to meeting like other non-Sabbatarians in Western Canada are doing? Or do we just say, stay quiet and, and toe the line? These aren't, these aren't easy times and they're not easy questions. As we go through another Feast of Weeks, looking forward to the Feast of Pentecost in three weeks, I'm worried about the body of Christ. Our joy seems to be missing. I read about it in messages that are sent to me. I hear it on the phone when I'm talking to people. I see it on our faces when we gather in various forms, whether it's in person or online, to try and stay connected. I even feel it. I even feel it from time to time. Our joy seems to be missing. You may recall a movie from about 15 years ago called The Bucket List. It was about two very completely different gentlemen from two completely different walks of life who, over the course of a, a battle with cancer, their, the, each of their battles with cancer became friends in the later stages of their life. And as they set to knock things off of their, as we call that the bucket list, the things to do before you kick the bucket, some of them were fun things, some of them were very meaningful, they developed a very close friendship. Before going into the surgery that would see him die on the operating table, one of them writes a farewell letter to his friend and asks him to do one thing. He said, find the joy in your life. Find the joy in your life. Today, in a world that is getting more chaotic with each passing hour, we can't say day anymore. We have to say passing hour. During the week when I'm at work and you've got various news websites up, you see breaking news. Something happens, breaking news in the morning, and something happened, breaking news in the afternoon. We may have two, three, or four examples of breaking news throughout the day. No longer is it what happened last week or what happened this week or last month. It's multiple times a day. In this world that is getting chaotic with no signs of slowing down, I would like to ask you on behalf of all of us in the body of Christ to find the joy in this life. Find the joy in this life. James led off his epistle with this very strange statement. Count it joy when you fall into diverse temptations or various trials. Let's find out why. Let's find out why. We're in the book of James. To begin, let's go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. If you're reading the King James Version you'll see the following. Verse 10. We'll begin in verse 10. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. We count them happy which endure. 
This is one of six times that the word happy is used in the Gospels and Apostolic writings. And 19 other times in our English translation of the King, uh, the English translation of the Bible, the King James Version, six times in the Apostolic writings in the, in, in the Greek and the Gospels, and then 19 times in the Hebrew Scriptures. And I'd like to start our discussion on finding the joy in this life by looking at this word happy. Man is consumed by his pursuit of happiness. Founding documents of nations are built around the premise of the pursuit of happiness. The problem is that absent the spirit of God, happiness is completely about the self. How do I feel? Does this make me feel good? This is not what the writers were referring to when they wrote this, these scriptures. In both the Hebrew and the Greek, we see this. There's a better word that has been rendered. And if you have another translation, you'll see that subsequent translations have tended to translate this with a bit of a better term. But we see here this word happy. If you in the Greek lexicon in 3106 is the verb makarizo, makarizo. There's also the noun form of that, that, that word in 3107 called makairos, makarios. The verb means to call someone blessed or to be, to, to pronounce someone as blessed. The, the noun verb, the noun form, makarios, means blessed or supremely blessed. That one is in, in an adjective, actually, not a, not a noun, but it's an adjective, supremely blessed. This is a nuance that we, that can't go unnoticed, and, and that we that we're going to look at here just for a few minutes as we as we begin our our search here. In the Hebrew Scriptures. The same Strong's lexicon, H0835, is the Hebrew word eser, E-S-E-R. And it also means blessed. I call to mind a, a hymn when I was growing up called, and many of you I'm sure could sing it. It was at the very front. It was page one of the hymn book of the church I grew up in. Blessed and happy is the man. Blessed and happy is the man. But that's not what David wrote when he wrote the first psalm. It was blessed is the man. So when we read these these scriptures, they are more properly translated rather than happy is blessed. And that's an important nuance because happiness, absent of the Holy Spirit, is completely about the self. Completely about the self. Now let's go back and look at the scripture we quoted at the beginning. That's uh, James chapter 1 and verse 2. James 1 and verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. This is a completely different word than the word happy, or what we now more properly would say is blessed. This is the word, the Greek word, 5479, chara, C-H-A-R-A, chara. And it means 
cheerfulness or a calm delight. Other meanings, another, another word uh, used as a, as a synonym of this is gladness. So my brethren, have a calm delight when you about it when you fall into a trial or a temptation, various uh, diverse temptations, or more properly translated, other word temptation is more properly translated trial, like a, a, in a severe trial. We're not talking, I'm late for work today. We're talking significant, significant um, uh, trials. Or be, have a gladness, have a calm gladness when you fall into various trials, when you find yourself in the midst of trials. What strikes me when I read this in the context of the of the meaning of the word gladness, that this is not this is not necessarily an outwardly emotional state. We sometimes can be very emotional when we're happy. If if you're if you're if you're the the arrival of your first child can make you deliriously emotionally happy. I can remember the arrival of both of our children. And it was, it was an emotional state that is, that is hard to replicate. This joy here in the midst of trials is a, it has a connotation of calmness. We don't need to be, when we think of joy as this, this emotional state, which is, I suppose it could be, but it doesn't need to be. It's hard to process how we can feel emotionally happy in the midst of trials. Rather, when we understand what, what, the, what James was really trying to say when he used these specific words, it reveals an inner peace that we give off, that's reflected in the vibes people get, that we give off when we're in the midst of trials. The Bible refers to this in the Hebrew Scriptures as countenance. You'll recall in Genesis 4, let's go there, Genesis 4, hold your place in James, we'll be back. Genesis 4, after Cain's offering was not accepted by God, and before he had made the rash decision, the, before he got very emotional and made the decision to kill his brother, verse 5 tells us, in the second half of verse 5, Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell. There was just something different about his outward appearance. And the Lord said unto Cain, why are you wroth? Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? When God came across Cain in his jealous state, he hadn't yet reached the point of outright rage, but something was wrong. There was something wrong on his face. Back to James 1. That's the, the calm, the inner peace we can give off. That we're not, we're not emotionally off the rails when we go through trials, but there's a, there's a bit of an, an inner peace, an inner gladness. Verse 1, it's interesting, James begins his letter. Let's see who he's writing to first. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. This is not insignificant as we be, and when we begin to read the letter from James. He's writing to a group of people that he called, that he says are scattered abroad, the diaspora. Consider that 11 of the 12 apostles would eventually be killed for their faith. Many others would be killed for their faith. Others had to flee Jerusalem to various regions just to preserve their lives and keep the gospel spreading. As this letter spread through the body of Christ at this time, they needed encouragement. They don't, they're not, they're, they weren't in a position we are today where our jobs are generally going well. We have enough food. You know, we aren't meeting together every Sabbath, but generally speaking, we're still healthy. Generally speaking, we still have some money in the bank. Generally speaking, we know where our next meal is coming from. Generally speaking, we've got a roof over our head. These people that he was writing to, they understood persecution. And they needed encouragement. And here was a letter from the half-brother of Jesus Christ himself. Imagine the anticipation in opening this letter as it made its rounds and would come to this group over here. And they'd gather around together and be so happy that they weren't forgotten. As some of you, as we know some of you who are so scattered that you live your, you live your lives, there's no congregation close by. Imagine being in a similar situation and realizing you haven't been forgotten. The half-brother of Jesus Christ has written us a letter. So they rip open the seal. Everyone gathers around as they begin to read. And they begin. Be glad when you go through trials. Hmm? This is what we've been, this is the encouragement we were waiting for. Be glad when you're going through trials. Really? Yeah. Really. Really. And let me show you why, James says. A modern translation of verse 2 could read, find the joy in this life. Find the joy in this life that you signed up for. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. If we go to James 5, James 5, in verse 13, again from the King James Version, is any merry, let him sing psalms. So, he mentions merry here. There's a place for emotion. There's a place for, for happiness. Let's be merry. Well, let's again go look at this word. It is the word euthemio. Euthemio. 2114 in the Greek concordance. And it means to be cheerful. To be of good cheer. To be in good spirits. To be of good courage. So when we process this, and we analyze what James is saying here. Let's back up to verse, th- to the verse 13. We read this again. Is any among you afflicted? 
Is any among you afflicted or suffering? Let him pray. Is any among you cheerful or of good cheer or merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Among you is an interesting term here that, again, we can't overlook. This is being written to a group of congregants forced out of their homes in the midst of persecution in an attempt to help them preserve the joy amongst them. Understanding that there are a variety of situations and emotions that we face and that that they would face in the midst of this persecution. Some of them would be suffering. Let them pray. Some may be in good spirits. Some may be okay. And as we go through life's up and downs, some can be down here and be suffering. That's a time for prayer. Some may be on the upswing and be of good cheer, be be of good spirits, be, be of glad heart. Let them sing. If someone is severely sick, and again, when we read, uh, when we go into the meaning of these words, it's any sick among you. This is not a cold. This is not um, a bit of a headache. This, this Greek word here really means weak, feeble, and powerless. So this is this is some 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 there's some severe sickness here that we're talking about. Bring the elders to pray. We don't have time to dig deeper in the purposes of, of this message here to dig too much deeper into James' epistle, but I think I'll, I'll probably look at doing that next time I'm scheduled to speak. But as we consider this group of persecuted people that James was writing to, and the, the varying emotions they were all going through, and the life cycle of what we go through. Some have, so sometimes we're having a good day, sometimes we're not having such a, a good day. There are things we can do for the group, like pray, when we are in a state of affliction. When we're on a high, when we're when we're we're up here, we can sing psalms. Let's try to encourage and bring each other up. James was saying. As things change around us and we become more like the diaspora, as we become more scattered, like we've been for 14 months, find the joy in this life that you've, that you've committed to walking. Find the joy. Be the bringer of joy in whatever way you can. When you come together with the body of Christ, whether that's in private or whether it's during a convocation or during some sort of group setting, bring your gift to bless others. And in that way, you can contribute to the joy of the group. You come in the midst of the body of Christ. We don't know where all of us are at. We don't know whether the people we're interacting with could be in a time of suffering or affliction. Or maybe we're having a time of affliction or suffering. And we could use the the positive 
spirits of someone who's of glad heart, who can sing or, or read a psalm or, or just bring us up, or may, we might be able to do that to them. But be the bringer of joy to the body of Christ when you're with the body of Christ. And in that way, we contribute joy to the group. This inner peace that everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Let's now just transition just a little bit and talk about an elephant in the room. You know, sometimes what we hear from ministers is rather heavy. The messages can be difficult to hear. Let's go to Revelation 1. Revelation 1. And read the introduction here. We've read it before. We've talked about it before. Let's just look at it again here in the context of this message. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. And for some reason, the translators get it right this time. It's the same word, makarios, in verse that begins verse 3, but they get it right, and they use the word blessed. Blessed is he that reads, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And we've studied that word, and the, 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 the tense of that, that word uh, to, to read and to keep and to hear is an ongoing one. Blessed is he who keeps and keeps keeping, or reads and keeps reading, or hears and keeps hearing. So this is something that we must constantly find ourselves in the the this this revelation from Jesus Christ Himself. Have you read this particular book? This one that comes directly from Jesus Christ Himself? It's not very happy. It's not a very happy book. At least the first 95% of it is not that happy. From the mouth of Jesus Christ himself, this is a, an onerous, heavy book. And yet, he tells us that we will be blessed. We will have, we will be supremely blessed. If we read this, hear this, and we do the things that it says. But this isn't new to the messages of God. This isn't this heavy message that we get here in Revelation isn't new in Scripture. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. And as you do, let's consider the context of 
where we pick up the narrative here in Deuteronomy 30. Forty years of wandering has finally come to an end. They are about to inherit the promises that have been passed down for hundreds of years. What blessings we read. But look at what Moses is telling them their descendants will go through first. I can imagine as Moses gathers them, the second generation of Israelites, after all of their parents, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, die. And as he gathers them on the first day of the 11th month, in the 40th year, just about two and a half months before they will keep the Passover on the other side of the Jordan River in the Promised Land, as Moses gathers them. Well, folks, I've got good news, and I've got bad news. It shall come to pass, verse 1, when all these things shall come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God. Return. That must mean I'm separated from it. That must mean our families are separated somehow for some reason. And you obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity. We're going into captivity? And have compassion on you and gather you again from the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. We're going to be scattered. We're a beautiful family here. We're amongst the assembly of the, the assembly of Israel. And when holy time comes, we're all together. But we're going to be scattered. We're going to be enslaved. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts from heaven, I don't want to leave. This is, this is, it's not so bad. It's, I know it's the wilderness, but it's not so bad. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Ah, there's the good news. So happy to hear the good news. Also, the Lord will put all these curses on your enemies and those who hate you. We're going to be hated and persecuted. And you will again, you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command you today. I see the good news. But there's so much between now and then. Scattered, driven out, driven out to the farthest parts, curses, being hated, being persecuted. This was part of the good news. But heavy stuff. Isaiah 6. Let's go to Isaiah 6. Wednesday studies are covering the book of Isaiah. So we've covered this. This has been covered about a month ago. Let's look at it again in the context of this message. Verse 8. We'll read verses 8 through 11. 
Again, for full context, go to the archives and catch up on the Isaiah studies if you haven't had the chance to already. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord, Isaiah says, saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Again, for deeper explanations, go to the archives. And I said, verse 11, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitants. So God asks for help in conveying a message to his covenant people, to Isaiah's own people. And Isaiah thrusts up his hand right away. I got this. I've got this, God. I've got this, Lord. What do you need me to do? You need me to do what? You need me to say what? For how long? For how long? Again, heavy stuff. Heavy stuff that weighed on the prophets. First Thessalonians 4. First Thessalonians 4. Verse, let's begin in verse 16. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, that's pretty good news. That's that's really, really good news. But in the scroll, that, that when Paul wrote this as a letter, there were no chapter breaks. But concerning, continuing chapter 5, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, one all is sounding really nice and pleasant, then sudden destruction comes upon them, as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. I don't need to write to you again, because we've already talked about this. But apparently I do, he said. Apparently we need to keep going over this. But it's important so that you're not caught unaware, so that you're not surprised. So that you are, as we read here, not overtaken as a thief. Because it doesn't come up and I I had no idea this was happening. You were all, verse, continuing verse 5, you were all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. We shine light on these things because you need to know. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. But those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day, let us who 
are children of light. Be sober. Have that calm that we read about in those words that we, we read earlier in James. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And as a helmet, the hope of salvation. These are this faith, this love, this helmet that we, that of, uh, this hope of salvation we talk about. This is what we need, but part of what comes with this is sometimes a little heavy to bear. For God did not appoint us to wrath. He doesn't want us to be recipients of his wrath as, as the disobedient will but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And then he repeats what he started out this this passage with, back in the the end of chapter 4. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Comforting words, but pretty heavy. Pretty heavy. Romans 9. Romans 9. Before Paul pivots in Romans to establish the truth about why the Gentiles were grafted into the covenant, he says something very interesting here at the beginning of Romans chapter 9. We know Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 really is that pivot point where he talks about the reason Gentiles were brought in to the covenant, why it was opened up to non-Israelite peoples. But he says here to begin this, this pivot, chapter 9 and verse 1, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. There's a lot weighing on his mind. As there was a lot weighing on the mind of Moses, on the heart of Moses as God was revealing this to him, a lot weighing on the the heart and the mind of Isaiah. Uh, and if you go through the prophets, a lot weighing on their hearts and minds. Paul similarly here says, I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed for, from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. From the outset, this, this heaviness that's on his heart, he states from the beginning that he wishes he could just give up his own life and spare the people what was in store. I wish I could just exchange my life for theirs so that they wouldn't have to go through this, so that they wouldn't have to hear what is coming, so that they wouldn't have to to find out how how hard it's going to be for them to come back to God. He wrote about it in Deuteronomy 30, and it seemed pretty easy at the time. But to find out exactly those processes... This was, this was heavy stuff on Paul's heart. And he wished he could just, you know what, take my life, my eternal life, God, and I'll, 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 I'll exchange that. Just don't make them go through this. But he couldn't. He couldn't. He had to share the news. He had to share the news. 
from front to back, as the more we dig, and the more the return of Christ gets closer and closer on the horizon, the more things start to mean more to us, the more they start to open up to us. And it can be heavy. It can be heavy. So when we get through a long week, and these tough weeks where where perhaps your jobs are, are in the midst of all of this lockdowns, perhaps you're in a job where you don't know whether it's going to continue or not, or whether you're going to be forced into temporary unemployment, or whether the business you're running has been completely shut down by a government government that pretends to care. And you don't know what this life you've tried to make for yourself, where it's going to go. And we come into, come into services and sometimes have to hear heavy message. Where's the comfort? Where's the joy? I've been there. I felt it. I understand. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 35, Hebrews 11, verse 35, beginning halfway through the, the, the verse. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the, of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, didn't receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore, continuing in chapter 12, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. These examples that are there in Scripture, the big ones that we read about, Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David, but the smaller stories too, the ones who were tortured, who were sawn in two, who wandered in deserts, gave up their lives, and didn't and didn't receive anything physically good then. It is their example that helps us process where we're at. It is their example that helps us 
not get bogged down during these times. We figure out the joy when, like them, we realize it is not about ourselves. Happiness, as the world understands it, is about us. Happiness is about me. Joy isn't about me. God didn't call us to be happy. He called us to be joyful. Now, there's nothing wrong with happiness. There's nothing wrong with taking care of the self, of enjoying what the fruits of your labor. There's nothing wrong with that at all, as long as it doesn't detract from our joy. As long as it doesn't detract from our focus on the body of Christ. Enjoy the, all the happiness you can, as long as it doesn't take away from or replace your joy. Even Paul understood that we were human beings. Regardless of how many times he could point people to the joy that lies ahead in God's plan, how many times he said, I, I can't believe I'm writing this again. You should know this. Or when he said to the, the Hebrews, when he said, you should be teachers of this. But we got to go back to the milk, I guess. Paul understood that we're human beings. That we can say all we want. Hear from the scriptures. But there's a reality that we face. Each of us faces our own reality. When the cameras are off, when the church doors are closed, and we're back in our homes, there's a reality that we face. Verse 11, chapter 12, verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. When we talk about inner joy, it's not happiness, because sometimes God's joy can be painful in the here and now. Nevertheless, afterward, afterward, and afterward it becomes clear when you read the this letter in context, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When we become complete, when God finishes his work in us, it will all make sense why we had to go through some scourgings, some mockings, perhaps being sawn in two, wandering the deserts, living in a cave, or something similar as those folks did. Or being in our current reality here. This cloud of witnesses is there to encourage us through different, to, through difficult times. So that we are not weighed down by the realities of today. Because this life is hard. What if all these folks that we read that we read about here in this letter to the Hebrews were only concerned about their own well-being? Sorry, God. This, this, yeah, I don't want to be sawn in two. I kind of like my house. I don't really want to live in a cave. I don't really want to be scourged. 
I've got to preach what, Isaiah said, for how long? You know what? This doesn't make me happy, so I'm going to pass. Where would our examples be? Where would the word of God be? Verse 12. Because of the reality that we are still human beings trying to become more like Christ, but aren't yet, what do we do? What do we do? Therefore, verse 12, immediately after what we just read, about no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, once we get through this, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest anyone, look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, causing trouble. And by this, many become defiled. What do we do? We focus on joy. And that is helping others, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. That inner calm, that wherever I find myself, I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. And I turn my focus to the joy of others. Sometimes my knees are weak and I'll need help. And sometimes yours will be weak and I'll be able to help you. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 24, shows us, now this is in reference to the elders, but the point is clear. I have the wrong scripture here. I have the wrong scripture, but uh, um, it says that they are to be helpers of people's joy. You're, you're familiar with the scripture. Joy can be helped. Joy can be helped. So that's what we do. That's what, uh, oh, chapter one, sorry, it's, it's chapter one, verse 24. I just I had the wrong chapter. Chapter one of Second Corinthians, verse 24. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. Joy can be worked on. Joy can be helped by others. That's what we do. That's what we do. We come to the body of Christ to help build the joy of others and therefore turn our focus off of ourselves and onto the focus of others. Galatians 6, again, breaking into the context here a little bit for time's sake. Galatians 6. Verse 9 and 10. Let us not grow weary while doing good. When we understand joy, when we understand the purpose of being part of the body of Christ, being part of this community, doing good for others gives us energy, gives us reason for in due season 
we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those of the household of faith, especially to those of the household of faith. Let's go back to First Thessalonians 5, where we were earlier discussing this, these very comforting words, very comforting words of all that is in our future. Not so comforting in terms of happiness. But they will bring joy. They might not bring us happiness in this life, but it will bring joy. Because of all this, because of all that we had just read, verse 14, we exhort you, Paul, Paul says he exhorts us to do what? To warn those who were unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, praying without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. There's lots that we can do. There is a lot that we can do. And in all cases, it's the focus is off of ourselves. Regardless of what we're going through, we can tap into that joy and contribute that joy when we're with the body of Christ. Let's conclude in 1 Peter 1, where the scripture reading was, where our brother Jeff, and thank you to him for reading that for us. First Peter 1, verse 3. We'll read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And you'll recall Paul's words that if the resurrection isn't tr- isn't real, isn't a true fact, then all of this is for nothing. Then we might as well pursue happiness because that's all we've got. Has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled that doesn't fade away, that joy that we read about earlier that will last forever, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, when we are finally come to the end of the salvation process. In this, in this fact, knowing that despite all that we have here, we have the living hope of the resurrection and that all of these truths will eventually culminate to the end of the salvation process. In this, we greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, if need be, it might not be happy. It might be a little uncomfortable in the short term. You've been grieved by various trials. I get it. I get it. Peter was there. The writers have all been there. 
and we've all been there, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you don't see him, yet believing, you rejoice with inexpressible, with joy inexpressible, and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the end of that journey, which is the salvation of souls. When we read this, the word your is italicized. And that's an important, that's an important nuance for us to understand. The word your was added by those who didn't understand the narrative. It is not the salvation of your souls. It's not about the salvation of the individual soul. It is about the salvation of souls. That is the end or the completion of our faith. When we understand that we are part of something that will bring the salvation of souls, people who have no business being saved, including ourselves, brought into covenant, that same covenant that goes all the way back to Genesis 12, through the mercy of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that allows all sins, both intentional and unintentional, to be completely forgiven. Results in the salvation of souls. Anyone who comes to believe in Jesus Christ and accepts him can come into covenant, that same covenant that goes all the way back. It's not about the, the salvation of the individual soul. It's not the salvation of your souls. It's about the salvation of souls. This is, some, this is what brings us inexpressible joy. Some of you may be isolated. We know. Many of you would join us because you are isolated. And you have no way of connecting with other brethren. If you need a connection, please reach out to me. You can track me down through Facebook. You can email me, murraypalmatier at yahoo.ca. You can track me down through the church website. You need to be connected to the body. You need to be connected to the body. If you can take on this task and spare some time to be connected to someone who is alone, you also reach out to me and let me know. I'm not saying I will be your connection, but I'll put you in touch with people so that you can be connected, so that you you don't need to be alone. You don't need to feel at lack joy. We get joy in the presence of the body of Christ. We build our joy by being connected to the body. If you're alone and you need someone to build joy with, someone to be connected, not just someone, be connected to to groups, reach out to me. Track me down. There's lots of ways you can find you can you you can track me down through the church website, through my personal email address, Murray Palmatier at yahoo.ca, Facebook Messenger. If you can contribute and if you can be connected to someone and would like to serve in this way. Let me know as well. 
so we can set up these ways for God's people to stay connected. If you're hearing this recorded at some point in the future, the offer still stands. This isn't something that's has an expiry date of April 24th, 2021. This offer still stands. It may not be that I connect with you, but we'll find brethren for you. We'll find brethren for you. If you know someone else, if you're connected and you know someone else that needs a connection, pass this on to them too. Your joy, a positive, outwardly focused attitude, your joy is needed in the body of Christ. Somebody's knees may be feeble, and you can help prevent their dislocation. Or your knees might be feeble, and you'll need someone to to walk the walk with. That community in Nickel Mines understood something about the nature of community. The well-being of the group depended on each one of them waking up each day, each day. And when they interviewed this, this one gentleman, he said this. This was 10 years later. He said, I still wake up every day and choose to forgive. I choose to forgive, he said. The well-being of the group depended on each one of them waking up each day and choosing to forgive the atrocity that ravaged their community on that fall morning nearly 15 years ago. It would have been so easy to take vengeance upon the family of Charles Roberts. But in doing what they did, they built a stronger community. We've got a long, long road ahead of us. Some weeks it's going to feel pretty heavy. Some weeks it'll feel a little happier. Things change. Things kind of go like this. But it's not going to be easy. Sorry to say it wasn't easy then. It wasn't easy in Moses' time. It wasn't easy in the prophet's time. It wasn't easy in Christ's time. It wasn't easy in the apostles' time. And it's not going to be easy in the end time. But we will make it. Every If every single morning you choose to find joy in this life. Amen. Thank you so much, brother. Uh, what a very much needed message. And I really appreciate you just uh, making that distinction between happiness and joy. And also your very genuine offer uh, for brethren, uh, however far flung they are, wherever they are in the world. And I will uh, tell everybody, uh, Murray genuinely uh, means this. Reach out to him and he, your, your message, your, your, your email uh, will not just fall to the ground. Uh, he makes sure that he follows up with every message that he receives. We do need to be proactively working uh, to be united with one another. Look at this uh, global lockdown and wearing of masks, and it's all about separating people, making people afraid of each other, and, and the state interfering with brethren coming together. We need to be creative, and we need to be proactive, and do all we can to ensure the body is tightly knit and that we are edifying one another. So again, Pastor Murray, thank you so much. We will have the closing prayer today brought to us by Pastor Jim French from the Ottawa Congregation, and then immediately after that, 
we will sing uh, the hymn on page 224, Praise Him, Praise Him, for the closing prayer, Pastor Jim French. All-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful God, and Jesus Christ, the Lord of angel armies at your side, we thank you so much for this uh, message today. It's uh, It was an interesting message, a paradox, Father, between um, the idea of personal happiness and the joy and the blessing and blessedness that can come from, from you and from uh, your body. We thank you for the... Um, uh, opportunity we have to uh, hear this message, and we ask that you help us to uh, ponder it as we go through the week. Ponder the different examples uh, that Pastor Murray brought up, as far as uh, you know, the, some of the heroes from the Bible who uh, dealt with this paradox between happiness and joy. And of course, we focus on Jesus Christ, who is our example, the key example that we have of how we should uh, model our lives. So we thank you for for this. We uh, once again, ask that you uh, be with um, you know all of your all of your body. Uh, not everyone was able to um, hear the message today, and we ask that you be with uh, some of those that were not able to hear it through you know, health reasons or other reasons. And we ask that uh, you bring this message to them as an encouragement, because part of this message was the idea of focusing on on what happens beyond the idea of vision and the idea that uh, your kingdom awaits us. And that's where the true joy and the true happiness for all will um, come forward. So we we thank you, Father, for this message. Uh, we ask your dismissal now. We hope that uh, we can all meet together again next Sabbath for another uh, Sabbath service. And we thank you for this through our older brother, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>